0: As you see, we're starting a new series, kind of a retro look. We're going to talk about breaking through, how we break through those strongholds that stand before us. Now, this is kind of taken from the 80s, and I'm looking around this crowd. Most of you were here during the 80s. Some of you have no idea what I'm going to be talking about. You never saw a phone that actually had buttons on it, and uh, you saw that again this morning. Now it's all the cell phones, smartphones, whatever. Uh, how many remember the video arcade games you used to play? With the, all right, did anybody in here ever play Donkey Kong? Let me see your hand. Oh yeah, there we go. That was that was a great one. Uh, what about Galaga, where you shot those little ships coming down? We all hit the Galaga. I went through a lot of quarters in my day. I never got any better. Pac Man. Got me, I mean I never could get away from that little dude that came around and so for you younger ones, millennials, you have no idea what I am talking about. Pac-Man was one of them up there. Frogger was the one that really used to get me, right? Tr- trying to cross the street and that, that those uh, buses are coming, and those cars are coming and, and uh, I got smashed real quick in that game. There, there's one that was called Breakout, and I don't know if any of you played that one or not, but uh, Breakout was a game also in the 80s, and it was you had, to, you had to try to break through these boxes, and you're trying to break through the boxes and get through to the other side. I think sometimes in our spiritual life, life is like that. We're always trying to break through, but we keep heading our head against a stronghold or an obstacle or a sin or a problem that keeps repeating itself over and over and over again, and we can never, ever seem to break through. That's what this series is all about. We're going to talk about how to break those strongholds, those addictions, those sins that keep us from living to the fullest that God wants us to. God called it a full, abundant life, but these things get in our way, and these strongholds get in our way, these barriers get in our way, and it keeps us from breaking through to all that God wants to do for us. The series is titled Breaking Through instead of Breakthrough. The reason is because Breakthrough kind of speaks of a one-time event. But breaking through is that ongoing process of finding liberty and freedom through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have titled it intentionally Breaking Through because it is a process. So we're going to believe that as we identify these problems and deal with them head on, we're gonna begin to see breakthroughs in the lives of everyone here in our church. Amen, how many are gonna believe that with me? you have an awesome time and an awesome series over these next four or five weeks. Let's stand together, take your Bibles out, and we're gonna take maybe what I feel like is the foundation for the whole series in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number three. If you don't have your Bibles, it should be up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number three, and it reads like this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish. Everybody say demolish. Demolish Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. Your word is quick and powerful like a two-edged sword, and I pray it will do its work in our hearts, our minds, our spirits today, Lord Jesus. Uh, May we hear your word, may it bring liberty and freedom. Do your work in this place in a mighty way. We ask it in your name, amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them what your favorite game was and then you may be seated. There's something that happens in each one of our lives and that is over time, our problems begin to define us. When they first start, our problem is just that. It's just a problem or it's just a weakness or it's just something we deal with and it happens. But, but if we allow it to repeat that behavior over and over and again, the enemy comes along and he will label you that way based on your problems. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 10 that that Satan is the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night. He has been hurled down. Now Satan will be great at bringing up your past failures, your past defeats. Uh, You may not be a pro basketball player like me. Uh, You may not have a great jump shot or whatever the case. I'm, I'm terrible. But whatever the case may be, but but. What happens is if you're not careful, he will take that weakness, that thing in your life, and he will call you, call you a loser. And you begin to think that I am a loser man, and so the enemy wants to label us, he wants to drag us down, he wants to accuse you and say, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. <laughs> but I will tell you, Satan is a liar. And so these are the kind of vain imaginations, those high things that get into our spirit, get into our heart, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The enemy wants us to believe the lie that we are somehow simply the sum total of my mistakes. And we wear that and we live with that the rest of our life. And so we respond in one of two ways. One is just to quit. Can't do it, gonna give up, never break through, knocking my head against the same walls over and over again. It's no use. I've tried the Christian thing. It's not working for me. I'm just going to quit and give up. The other response is almost the opposite reaction is I'm just gonna muscle up and I'm gonna take all my willpower and all my strength and I'm gonna try to overcome this thing and I'm gonna try to defeat this thing and I'm never gonna do those actions again only to find ourselves crying out to God when we fail again because it's gonna happen and we cry out to God in our frustration as we face the truth about ourselves and pretty soon we believe I can't change. I can't change my life, I can't change my actions no matter how hard I try along the way and we feel weak and we dirty and we condemn ourselves. The problem is we don't understand the nature of our warfare. We don't understand spiritual warfare or the nature of our warfare. So Paul addresses the Corinthians and he writes to them about how to break down strongholds, how to break through into freedom and life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So i want to give you two points and take your bulletins. you may wanna turn them over and follow along with me this morning. Two points today, very simple. Number one is the way we walk is not the way we war. The way we walk is not the way we war. And we get that from verse number three. It says, though we walk in the flesh, or it says in the NIV, though we walk according to the pattern of this world, we do not wage war according to the pattern of this world. Though I, the King James Version, though I walk in the flesh, I don't wage war with my flesh. So the way I walk in the flesh in my body is not the same way I engage in spiritual. Warfare, you can't win spiritual battle through fleshly means. You can't do it. You can never try to be good enough, strong enough, mighty enough. You can't win spiritual battles through fleshly, physical means. A spiritual war has gotta be won in the spiritual realm. Let me give you a verse. Zechariah chapter four and verse six. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, almighty. Governor Zerubbabel was looking at the walls and ruins at Jerusalem. He said, there's no way we can do this thing. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. It shall be done and it will be done. The eight, Battles are not won through human efforts, but only through the Holy Spirit of God. The physical battle would first be won through the supernatural strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what happens is we, we can focus so much on external change, of changing the circumstances or changing the external things all around me, and we figure in our own minds, if I just have enough willpower, I can overcome these strongholds or obstacles in my life. The trouble is we are only dealing with outward symptoms and we never get to what's going on inside the heart and as long as we're fighting this situation or this problem or this test or this trial, we never deal with the heart issue. Every external problem has an internal root. So the answer is not I'm gonna change this, I'm gonna do this or that or I'm not gonna do this or that or I'm gonna try harder, the whole problem is that little word I. I, 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 I. am gonna do better, I'm gonna win, I'm not gonna sin, I, 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 I. You see, the real problem is it's I who got you there to begin with, I can't get you out of your problems. I's the one who messed everything up. And so to think I, who got myself in that mess, can solve my own problem is ridiculous. I got myself into the mess, so how can I get myself out? I is usually the problem. The remedy is the exact opposite. Listen to Luke nine twenty three. Whoever wants to be my disciple must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the key to victory is denying myself, dying to myself, and allowing the spirit of Christ to live through me. And the quicker I die to myself and try to control things myself and try to solve the problem myself and in my own energy and in my own strength is the quicker I can begin to see spiritual breakthroughs in my life because I begin to understand it is by the Spirit of God, not by my own strength. God gives his Holy Spirit to enable me to be free from sin. Now I have his strength in my life, and I live out of that. The apostle Paul put it this way, for me to live is Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So to win spiritual battles, it's got to be done in a spiritual realm. Look at verse number four of this text. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have power to demolish strongholds. The power of God is available to every single child of God to destroy, dismantle, pull apart, pull down, demolish strongholds in our life. But it's gotta be through the spirit and the power of Almighty God. God not only gives the power to forgive sins and takes them away, but he also equips believers to resist the sin and temptation that comes their way. Demolish, destroy. Now that word is in the present tense and so it means it's a process, not an event. So God destroys and keeps on destroying those strongholds in my life. Now some people get confused along these lines. They think somehow if the desire comes back, that somehow because that desire is still there, I'm no longer free from that thing in my life and it's the desire that brings me into bondage. But The divine power to destroy sin does not destroy the desire because as long as I'm in this world, I will always have desires. But the Spirit of God gives me strength to resist those desires and say no to sin. We are still in our flesh and we will still be tempted, but through Christ, I now have the power to resist. So dismantling strongholds is gonna be a process throughout my entire life, but don't get discouraged when those desires come along or those emotions come along and raise its ugly head again. It does not mean you have failed, it does not mean you're no good, it does not mean you're a loser, it just means you're a human being. But now, have power through the Lord Jesus Christ to resist that sin. When we understand this process, we no longer live under the label of our mistakes and our struggles but we see ourselves as Christ sees us. And I begin to see myself as a blood washed child of God in the family of God, adopted by him, saved by him, freed by him, a child of God. I don't see myself under the labels of the old nature and the old way that the enemy wants to stick upon me, attached to my life. If my identity is based on my ability, I will always be stuck. I'll always be banging my head up against that proverbial wall. But if my identity is found in Christ, I become powerful and shame can't weaken me or cause me to quit. Because I see myself as God sees me, a blood-bought child of Almighty God, him whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And I see myself in that way. This also helps me elevate the right things. And so instead of elevating and focusing on the wall, I begin to focus on the solution, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I get my eyes off the stronghold and on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my victory. So often we tell our story by our problems rather than telling people how big a Savior I have, how awesome my Savior is, and how good he is. Now, Here's the question that I want to ask ourselves this morning. If the battle is not external in the flesh, if it's just an expression of a deeper problem, what then is the root of my problem? And that leads me to my second point, and it's simply this. The way we think determines our breakthrough. The way we think determines our breakthrough. Look at verse five, and I want to read it this time out of the King James Version, so you may just have to listen to me this morning, but listen to this. Casting down imaginations. Imaginations has to do with our thought life, our minds. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So there's human thoughts, human imaginations, human arguments, human high things that are contrary to the knowledge of God and his word. And bring into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, Paul's writing to this the Corinthians. He's writing to this letter, this is a second letter to the Corinthians. And Paul had been to Corinth. He had uh, went there on his second missionary journey. He had spent 18 months there. An angel of the Lord came. Uh, some Jews came and stirred up trouble. And the angel of the Lord came and said, you are going to have a long, fruitful labor and ministry here. So he stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. He lived in Corinth. He uh, did, made tents with them and served and preached and stayed a long time. And so he established a very strong, mighty church in the city of Corinth. Corinth at this time was the largest city in Greece. It was much larger than Athens at that time. Since then, it has declined in, in population, and now Athens is the major hub and city of Greece. And so he stays there, he teaches, he spends a lot of time there. Now, right after he got there, the uh, Judaizers came. They always tried to stir up trouble, and they brought him before Galileo at the Bema seat, or the judgment seat. Now, I want to show you this picture, and leave it on the screen if you would. This is taken from Corinth and uh, there's yours truly in the dark, standing in front of what has been excavated. This was the Bema seat. This is where all the judgment, all the trials took place. This is where the judge sat, the governor sat. They all ruled from on top of this Bema seat. Down in the front, that was a whipping post. And so there they even found the imprints of where they used to have tie the people and have chains, and they would strap them, bend them over that, and after they were found guilty, would weep, whip them and beat them mercilessly. On top was a mountain right behind that. So you can see, as Paul might have stood before Galileo and he, he stood before the Bema or the judgment seat, above that or atop of that was a mountain. On top of that mountain was a temple to the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And so part of their idolatry, part of their paganism was this this idol worship that would take place. It always involved prostitution. It always involved ladies. It involved immorality. And so you have this whole environment in Corinth that is very sensual. It was kind of the, to use this phrase loosely, the Las Vegas of their day. It was the sin center, the pleasure center of Corinth. To say someone Corinthianized would be a euphemism for saying they were involved in sexual immorality. Morality. and that's you get Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. What? Don't you know your body is the temple? Temple prostitutes. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives you, therefore don't take your temple and join your body to a prostitute. For to do so is to become one with her and defile Temple of the Holy Spirit. And so all this imagery is in Paul's mind when he writes these letters. Now keep in mind, what does it say in verse number five? It says there that he will bring down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You have in the backdrop this high mountain, this center of idolatry, center of sexuality on top of the mountain. And then every argument and pretension that exalts itself against God, this is where all the arguments are played out, right before the seat of government, right before the Bema seat, and then what's it say? Bringing every thought into captivity, chain it to the whipping post, bring those thoughts Find those thoughts up. And so all this imagery is in the back of the Apostle Paul's mind as he writes this letter to the 2nd Corinthians. Thank you, guys. You can take that down. What am I saying? The root of all spiritual battle is in your mind. Your habits, addictions, and struggles are only expressions of what's already in your mind. So to destroy the stronghold by the power of God is to take dominion over our minds and our thought process. To destroy a habit, you have to change the way you think. To destroy a habit, stronghold, you have to change the way you think. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says to the Romans when he writes in Romans 12 and verse number two. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. Bring every thought into captivity, every thought into captivity. Bring down imaginations, bring down high things that exalt itself in your mind against the knowledge of God. The battle for purity takes place in your mind. It is a process every day of surrendering my mind to the mind of Christ. Mm. The problem is, we think our way is the best. And so we have our arguments and we hold on to our arguments in our mind. We have lofty opinions and lofty ideas and we hold on to those. If we hold on to those, it will always separate us from the mind of Christ. Those things have to come down so I can have the mind of Christ. The the, the word for, it says lofty opinion And uh, in the King James Version, it says every pretension in the NIV. And literally in the Greek, the root word of that is the word we get our word partition from. Now a partition is something that divides. And so what the enemy wants to do is divide us from God, from the Lord Jesus Christ, from his thoughts about us by lifting up our own lofty ideas, our own pretensions, our own arguments that go against the knowledge of God. Now a partition, if you brought a partition is, it can block the light out. Now I wanna tell you, the light has overcome the darkness. If you wanna overcome the darkness, what do you do? You flip the light switch and the light comes on. Listen to what Jesus Christ, it says in John 8, verse 12. Jesus himself talking, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm the light of the world. But our our vain imaginations, our lofty ideas, our own human reasonings, our own arguments serve as a partition. It blocks the light of the knowledge of God. And he says, that has to come down in order for the light to come in. We defeat the darkness when we invite the light in and instead of cursing the darkness, start turning up the lights. Verse number five, he uses another phrase that's very colorful and interesting in in this culture. He says, taking captive every thought. When he uses the phrase captive, it literally means to take the sword point. It has the imagery of a soldier who would win a battle, win a victory, and they would take the soldiers and they would take their sword. The sword was not one of these long, massive, huge swords in the Greek culture. It was about 18 inches long. It was sharpened on two sides. Thus, it's called the two-edged sword. You see that reference used in the Word of God as well. They would take their sword, they would hold it to their back of their prisoner, and they would bring him back into captivity. It literally means bring the sword point. In Ephesians chapter 6, he describes our spiritual warfare, and he says the sword in our warfare is the Word of God. And so we bring our thoughts, our imaginations, our false ideas, and we bring them into captivity. How would we do that? Through the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I don't believe what the enemy says about me. I begin to believe what the Lord Jesus Christ says about me, how he pursued me, how he loved me, how he cares about me, how he's a good, good God, and all that stuff we just sang about. Wow. I replace those thoughts. takes place in the mind. And he says, you take the word of God and you bring your thought life to make it obedient to Christ to conform with Christ, not your own ideas. And that's how we bring the strongholds down in our mind. i want to tell you a story. I wanna close with a story today. It's an awesome story and it's found in Joshua chapter six. And the children of Israel are getting ready to enter the promised land and yet before them is gonna be that gateway city called Jericho. Jericho is a, a powerful military city. It is gonna be the key to taking or entering into their promised land. It was known for its huge, massive walls, 20 to 30 feet deep, and so amazing walls that were built. They would build their houses on top of the walls. Remember, Rahab had her house. She had kind of a penthouse suite on top of the wall, and so, so we, we see that in the construction of Jericho, and so God says, you are gonna take that city and... Uh, Canaan, it's a Canaanite city, so it's known for its idolatry. Idol worship is rampant. Part of their idol worship always included prostitution, which Rahab was most likely a temple prostitute. It wasn't just somebody on the street somewhere. It was a part of their worship of their false gods. There was satanic activity going on. In fact, the Canaanites were known, they would take their firstborn child and they would offer that to Moloch, their god and Moloch, they found statues or idols of Moloch which shows a, a, a god, a hideous looking god with arms out and they would burn burning coals of fire on top, underneath them and they would light those on fire and they would put the baby alive on the arms of that child. It was kind of horrendous, terrible as they killed their own children. So the Canaanites were very vile and so the problem in Jericho wasn't just as much the walls around the city as it was the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and heavenly places that reigned over the city of Jericho. There was not just a physical stronghold, there was a spiritual stronghold over that city in the demonic realm. And so God says you're not gonna use conventional warfare. I want you to do something different. Conventional warfare, the war of the flesh says, you lay siege to that city, you build embankments, you put ladders up there, you try to shoot fire into the city, you put your uh, uh, towers up against it, you hurl stones into it. Joshua could have done all these kind of things, but he said that's not how you're to take this city down you first gotta handle the spiritual strongholds and dominions, and then I will take care of the physical. So I want you to march around the city. March around it, and don't say a word. So he gets his whole army, they go out on day number one, and they march around that city, and they keep their mouths shut, and they never open their mouth, and they never say a word, and then they go back and camp out again. I want you to do it again, and do it again and do it again, and do it again. And six days, they march around this city. Now that's not warring according to the flesh, that's warring according to the spirit. And they march around that city again and again and again. I want you to notice something. When the armies were marching around the city, they had priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the manifest presence of God. He says, I want you to follow the Ark. Keep your eyes on the Ark, not on the walls. Watch the Ark, watch the Ark. Keep your eyes on me, keep your eyes on me. Don't look at the stronghold. Keep marching and keep marching. And they marched around that city. The Israelites are gaining spiritual authority over that city before they move in and take physical authority over the wall itself. Three things are in play here. If you wanna jot these down, get them. Number one, you see the the, the obedience, the obedience of the children of Israel. He gives them this command and they follow it and they obey it and the command was, don't say anything, just march. Just keep moving, don't respond if they speak to you, don't talk back. Don't fight naturally. Don't get your weapons out. Keep them all, keep your swords all sheathed up. Keep your spears to your side. Don't do a thing with those weapons and your own strength and your own might. Just obey me. Just, just follow my word and do what I tell you to do. The second thing is the faith needed. You can imagine the amazing faith. They, they march around the city and nothing happens. In the natural, they can't see anything. They don't don't, don't pick up a thing. The walls are still there. The Canaanites are still there. And and the the promised land is still blocked. The stronghold is still there. But they had faith to believe and keep on marching. And they never stopped. Faith, faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. They couldn't see anything different in the natural. But they kept marching. And the third thing that was needed was self-control. Can you think about the amazing self-control those men had to have had, thousands upon thousands of soldiers marching around this massive city to keep their mouths shut, to not say a word, to not make a sound, to march in total silence takes amazing self-control. I can imagine as they, they approached that city for the very first time, all the Canaanites, they approached the front of Jericho. They're on the North Tower and they're watching. They're all there ready. They're all ready to fight. And all of a sudden, they just see them start marching and going around this way. They all run to this wall and they look there. And they just, they're not attacking here. And they start going around the backside of the city. They all march over there. They're all looking and nobody's attacking. No, and then they go to the last wall and they just leave. I can imagine they did that for their first two or three days. By day four, they're looking down saying, what are you goons doing? This wall's not falling down. Nothing's happening here. Keep marching all you want, guys. We own this city and the enemy will come along and he will taunt you while you're marching. And They shout down, hey, your mother wears army boots. Hey, and they start jeering and laughing and making fun of them. And they never respond and they never say a word back. You see, a lot of our problem today is we want to speak our mind. We want to get the last word. Somebody posts something about us or something in government or something else and what do we? We jump on Facebook, we jump text and we tweet and we can't keep our mouth shut. We lack self-control. And we only accelerate or accentuate the battle. James says the tongue is the most unruly member. Who controlled his tongue? That, that, the battle's right there in the tongue, and and so so we, we, they had amazing self control. Now here's here's my point. Your Jericho, my Jericho, my stronghold may seem insurmountable, but victory will come if we don't resort to the flesh, if we don't jump in and try to solve it ourselves and think our way out of it and will our way out of it and talk our way out of it and muscle our way out of it, but allow the Word of God to bring our vain reasonings, our lofty ideas, every argument into captivity, into sword point, and get it to line up with the Word of God and begin to believe what God says about us, not what the enemy says about us. You see, listen to me. Listen, to me. I want you to get this. Your real, your real problem, church. My problem. You're our problem. Our real issue is not the drugs. Some of you are doing drugs in here. You're, you're hooked. You can't stop. Maybe it's prescribed medicines, prescribed pills. Maybe it's pot, cocaine, meth. Whatever it is, you're some of you in here are into that. It's not porn. I can guarantee you. There's a bunch of men in here porn's their deal Uh, it's not your anger a lot of mad angry people in here that's not your problem it's not alcohol but it's not taking on the mind of Christ and declaring what God's word says the real battle is not those things those are all symptoms of the heart problem on the inside The real battle is my human reasoning, my human understanding uh, versus divine revelation. What does God say? The real battle is the philosophies of man or of this world and the revealed truth of the Word of God. That's the battle. And on the seventh day, he says, March. I want you to march. I want you to keep marching. Don't stop. They marched. They were silent, they were quiet. But on time number seven, they lifted up a shout of praise and triumph and they began to glorify God and the strongholds came down and were crushed into the ground. So how do we break through? And I will be talking about this, listen to me, this is only the first part. We will be hitting this every week for the next four weeks. We're gonna see deliverance, Bondage broken, addiction's broken, freedom come. But, but for today, for today, take this with you. Number one, take hold of the wrong thoughts, those negative thoughts that come from the accuser, those negative thoughts that say you're no good and, and that, that defines you by your weakness. And declare begin to declare what God's word says. Thus saith the Lord instead of I'm a loser, I'm an addict, I'm a slave, to now I am free in Christ, I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me, and I am fearfully, wonderfully made by God, designed by God for a unique purpose that he has for me in my life. My mistakes don't define me, God does. Don't allow the enemy to get you to think you're stuck and you have to quit and you can't make it. But bring all thoughts 2 Corinthians, 3, 2 Corinthians 10, verse three to five, into captivity, into captivity. It's time to start clearing God's truth. It's time to start, start shining some light of Christ into our dark reasonings and imaginations. And it's time to begin to war in the spirit and not war in the flesh. Amen and amen.